Greetings, readers. This is the Recap Book Chat. We are thrilled that you're with us because reading illuminates your life like a star. As J.R.R. Tolkien said, little by little, one travels far. And welcome to the Recap Book Chat. Thank you so much for joining us today. In the spirit of kind of ending the, the new year or ending the year and about to start a new year, um, we're diving into a very powerful book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And the last part of that is why we do what we do in life and business. And Charles is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And this book was published in 2012. Um, it's a nonfiction self-help type of book. I actually listened to the audio version and I think you read it. You read the physical uh-huh. copy, right? Yeah. Um, and so this is a great one to have in your mind as you're going into the new year. Cause that's when we really start thinking about changing your habits and like, and, and all of that. And he does a fantabulous job to, to make up a word there, but he does a, a great job of kind of defining what a habit is and, and giving and us practical steps. Yes. How they work and giving us practical steps to change the habits that we don't like. So and one quote, one quote from him is the difference between who you are and who you want to be is what you do. That's good. I mean, and then he gets us into the kind of like the nitty gritty understanding how habits work and it makes them easier to control if you know kind of the game plan. Yes. And he said the key to victory was creating the right routines and the beginning. I don't know if it's at the beginning, but I I love the story he told about the man did he have dementia or, or uh, Alzheimer's or, or something in the it brain? A, it was a brain injury, I thought, or something. Or, yes, something bad, really. But this guy could still get up, make his own coffee, do all this stuff because it was routine. And I just thought that was that, that shows you the power of a routine. So. Well, and he talks about that that's, our brains work that way for a reason. Because if, if we didn't have these habit loops then we would be overwhelmed by the minutia of daily life. And so it's necessary for our brains to uh, make these habit loops where we don't really think about what we're doing. It, it just, it really helps our brain not be overloaded. And it's interesting because I was thinking about that. And this week for me has seemed really long and difficult. And I'm partly because we've added, we had a bunch of different things added. Like when my youngest started basketball and then like, we had all these different things that aren't normally in our routine. And I'm like, that's interesting uh, that that that's probably why it did feel a little overwhelming as a week. Um, and so I'm like, so habits are a good thing. But the the key there is that you want to be intentional with your habits because you are creating habits whether you want to or not. That's just the way our brain works. So like, I love yeah. how he talks about that. He said that scientists say that habits emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. So, uh, you know, like you were, you were, 
your brain this week was probably looking for ways to save effort. But while it was doing that, you were doing different things, different things, and just kind of adding on. And that may be what, you know, some people get depressed during the holiday season and all that because there's not a routine. Mm, could be. And, and there's no, there's no way to make it a routine. You know, like I have new stuff to, that I don't go to a Christmas program every week. I don't mm-hmm. go to Christmas parties. I don't do all that every week. So you have all this stuff kind of thrown at you and you've got a, like you called, I like that word minutia. It's a pretty cool word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it too. But he did use it. I think he used that word. Um, I don't know if I wrote that quote down. Um, I did write this down just to explain the habit loop a, a little further. It says the habit loop. And he says it's cue, routine, and reward. Cue, routine, reward becomes more and more automatic. The cue and reward becomes intertwined until a powerful sense of anticipation and craving emerges. Thus, a habit is born. So that's kind of how the habit becomes created through those cue, routine, and reward. And he kind of breaks that down throughout the book. And I have an example for that. So cue is you wake up and then your routine is you make coffee and your reward is you have rich tasting coffee. That's the it in a little miniature picture of it, but mm-hmm. that's how it works. And it's just something that automatically re, in, in what he's saying, if you have a habit that you don't like, you can still use the cue and the routine. You just change the reward. Yes. You can, you can, because you have this information, you can manipulate it to your advantage. And the example he uses for himself was the, Every day at three o'clock, he was getting up from his desk and going to the cafeteria and getting a cookie and and then talking with coworkers at the cafeteria. And he said he had gained like eight pounds. And when he really started, you know, okay, uh, dissecting what was happening, the cue was around is could be the time. So it was always around three, three thirty was the cue. Um, The routine was getting up and going and, and getting the cookie. And then the reward which he discovered was really more of a social thing. He was wanting to talk with people and stuff like that. So he, he changed the routine. He kept the cue and reward. Yes. And he changed the routine. And it's interesting. Um, I loved, do you remember he was talking about Tony Dungy? Oh, I love that part. Yeah. And it was fascinating because Tony Dungy had been rejected for his idea. Cause his idea was really, um, it was simple, but it was very unique. And his idea was that the key to winning was changing the player's habits. Because, uh, And I think I wrote a quote down. Champions don't do extraordinary things. They do ordinary things, but they do them without thinking. Too fast for other teams to react. And so that was his whole uh, uh, theory behind his plan was to take his player's and, and get them so this habit so fast that it would you just that's all you need is a split second to beat the other guy. And and apparently it it paid off and he didn't try to change the cue or the routine. And uh, he really focused. I mean, the reward. He just focused on the routine. So that's all he changed because his, wrote, his idea was that, that you thing. can't change a habit. Well, and that's true. And that's when you think about it. But I wrote down that same quote and it says they follow the habits they've learned but they do it instinctively so that gives them the edge on the other team because you don't have to think about it 
if you do think about it, your dad was your dad's reading a book by Elizabeth George Spear called Calico Captive. Totally different. But here's the here's the connection between these two books. He said when the the Indians came and they were oh Native Americans, excuse me, uh, came, they were going to uh, take them captive. He said she could have escaped, but she hesitated. So because she hesitated and it was just a matter of seconds, he said that, you know, there, you only get one chance uh, of that. And I thought of that. Well, you know, our habits, sometimes we doubt ourselves mm-hmm. and really, you know, I, when you walk around as a teacher, you walking around, I've seen so many kids, they pick the right answer and then they erase it. Why? They overthink it. Yeah. Well, I think they're doubting themselves. So, Part of this is you've got to, you've got to have, uh, you know, like Tony Dungy wanted them not to have faith in themselves that they're going to do the right thing and then just do it and don't think about it. Just nature. And I, I you know, I thought that was powerful, but you know, that's not glamorous though, you know, mm-hmm. and I, there was a quote I had that change might not be fast. Well, it's not going to be fast. And it, that it isn't always easy. But with time and effort, almost any habit can be reshaped. So I just thought that was powerful, that it's going to take time. What does uh, your master Paulin say? The habits we make are the habits we get. (laughs) Yeah, I think that. And he also says inch by inch, it is a cinch. I think Tony Dungy was an inch by inch guy. Yes. And in the long run, that paid off. And it took and, you know, it took him a while to get there. To get his, because like habits take time, but then once you get it down, then you really see the benefit and you really reap the rewards of all that. I also have a quote from Dale Partridge that goes along with that. Um, if, it, if I want to be extraordinary, I must eliminate the unnecessary. Whoa. And I think that Tony Dungy did that. Like that's, I, and it makes sense. Like, like let's be intentional and take out what we don't need. And what's cool, what's cool about this too is I like that he shows all sides of it because not all habits are bad. So he just shows it's not good or bad. It's just a habit. And so if you want to change a habit, he shows you kind of how to do that. Or if you want to, like Tony Dungy, kind of improve a habit, you know, and really, really get it down to where it's... Strengthen it. Yeah. And and I think he talks about Michael Phelps and... And, yeah. you know, one thing that this connected when you were talking about Tony Dungy, I thought of the movie Hoosers because that's what he does. He goes in mm-hmm. and he wants to make new habits. They're used to shooting a lot of three pointers and all that. And he wants to give them he wants them to work as a team. And what happens at first? It's hard mm-hmm. and they lose games. And one of my favorite parts of that. But he is so committed to his habits like Tony Dungy was, you know, when one player fouls out, another one goes on and, and he won't let him play because he's not with the game plan yet. And, and I love it when he said, my team's on the floor. <laughs> he said, you're going to play with four? And then everybody in town says, you're going to play with three next time? You have to be committed to them. That's a great connection. And I think that's because it's about fundamentals. That's what they talked about. But really what is fundamentals is, is good habits, right? Yes. That's fundamentals. So that's a great, that's a great connection. Well, I think when um, I I took away from it, of course, being in uh, education, when I read this and I talked with my principal at that time, which was several years ago, and in there, he's talking, if you give employees a sense of control, 
it improved how much self-discipline they brought to their jobs, just giving them a sense of agency. It mm. gave them control. And then they had, uh, they did a lot better. Well, I mentioned that. Of course, you know what? Uh, actually, in of course, I'm in the private, private school now. They give you this. I have a sense of agency now. But at that time, in public school, you have to do what they say. And you, you pretty much, and then they just keep giving you more to do and more to do. And, you know, teachers like, well, we'll do it. We'll do it. But what they were robbing teachers of is their sense of agency. Mm. And that so, is why so many teachers, I think, are quitting. So that kind of is ownership, right? That, yes. that mm-hmm. emotional investment. And you're so right. That's, we, we need to be emotionally invested in what we're doing and our kids need to be emotionally invested in what they're doing. So they need to own their behavior. And just like you were saying, the, the employees do better when they have that sense of ownership. Well, did you remember the whole Toyota story? Uh, remind me. Well, in the Toyota, this was in Japan. They actually listened to their people and their people on the line, you know, so Normally, I think what's happened, we've got too many, uh, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Mm-hmm. And then the chiefs that we do have, they aren't listening to the Indians who are on the front line. Mm-hmm. And they did. Uh, they listened to their workers. And it just like we, we always talk about, listen to the children. I don't know how many times I see an adult ignoring a child. Yes. And it just pretty much infuriates me because I'm like, okay, why do you think you're better than a kid? Because what does Jesus say? He says, let the little kids come to me. Suffer the little children to come to me. I don't understand why people don't uh, just sit in rapture and listen to a child because they're passionate about what they're talking about. They're focused. They're, you know, we could learn so much from kids. Yes. I mean, they could learn from us too. It's a two-way street, but I just don't think, I think kids listen to adults a lot more than uh, the other way around. Well, and I have an example of that, what you're talking about. You're talking about the Toyota and the CEO uh, and, and, and them listening to their workers and why that's effective. Well, if we bring it down to our families, it's the same concept. And it's uh, a counselor told us that it's important for your to, and he said it this way, and I love the analogy that it's like a pizza, like and then so say it's homework, and you feel like your kid's really apathetic towards doing their homework, and you're always like, hey, you need to do that, you need to do that. It could be sports, you need to you need to do this, whatever it is, and you're the the child is not taking, they're not emotionally invested because the parents have the whole pizza, you know, mm-hmm. and that that helped me understand it a lot. And to back up and think, why am I carrying the emotional investment of their homework or sports or whatever? And that needs to be on them. And the way to do that is is to let them fail. It, let them not not study and fail assignment, and then they'll they'll feel the consequence of that. They and they need to have ownership of that. And then asking them questions instead of after a game, like, okay, well, here's what you need to do. Da 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 da. It's like, well, how do you think you did? How do you, how do you feel about your performance? Did you, do you feel like that was hundred percent? How do you feel? And really letting them feel what it's like to be proud of themselves and where they're not trying to get uh, parental approval or teacher approval. You know, it's like, they mm-hmm. need to be, 
proud of themselves and be intrinsically motivated. And that is where the power is, I think. Well, and I think there's something to be said for, well, like the day before or the day of the Christmas program, all the kids in class were nervous about it. And a lot of them had solos and they were just like, oh, and then the next day they were on cloud nine because they did something. They finished and they did a hard thing. And, you know, even uh, your dad had, we watched a movie called The Secret Handshake. And in that, there's the line that said, there's something to be said for finishing things. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to finish well, but you do need to finish. And then you can check things out and learn from that, evaluate, and then move forward. But you finished. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's so true. Yeah, that that movie is hysterical. I never would have watched that, but your dad picked it out. But it was hysterical because the 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 whole synopsis was the the dad, Kevin Sorbo, he's going to take this kid out and teach him a lesson in the woods. And he picks two of his friends and they're going to go teach him a lesson because he TP'd their house because he likes his daughter. And I said, boy, things have changed. When I was a kid, that was not something you did when you like someone. It was actually, you didn't like them, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it was funny because actually uh, everything went south and, but, but basically he said in, in he's doing this reading and he said in every culture, but ours, uh, young men have to do something to enter manhood, but not in ours. It's true. And I thought of that book you were about Eldridge. He, he writes about that. Yes. Not kind of not breaking that spirit. You know, a lot of times we, we, because, and, and it's difficult because as women, a lot of things the boys do and men do don't make sense. I'm like, that seems really dangerous. That doesn't make sense. Like, let's be safe. But they weren't created to be safe. You know, they were created to be warriors and they created to kind of run into battle, which doesn't make sense. You know, that's illogical. <laughs> yeah. To us. But that's why I think it's important that that we are supposed to, if you notice in the Bible, it says, take care of widows and orphans. Well, a widow cannot teach a a young man how to be a young man. Mm -hmm. And so there's a great little um, article on that about a, a, a writer. He was a sports writer and he was dying of cancer and he challenged his uh, life group. And he said, I want you to be in my son's face. I want you to be at his games. I want you to tell him when he messes up. I want you to be there for him. And, and when um, when you get to heaven, I want you to know his name and I want him to know yours. Because he had lost the father and grown men would come up to him and just say how much they thought of, their fa- of his father and he didn't know him. Mm. But he was saying, I want my son to know you. Mm, that's good. And, and somebody picked up that article and they said, they do. They're going there. They're watching his games. They're, they're there for him. And that's what, that's uh, the power of community. And that's a habit you build like, how, who have I helped today? That's a Mm -hmm. good habit. That is a good habit. Um, He also talks about keystone habits. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that part. So the keystone habits are habits that have the power to change other habits. So Mm -hmm. they kind of, which makes sense when you think about it. You know, if you if you make if you make one change of a and you of this habit that was not healthy and you change it to healthy, it does kind of snowball and help you have the power to change the other habits. And he was doing it. He was talking about it with Michael Phelps too. And I think um, 
his coach, uh, Bob Bowman, um, they were talking about that. And he said, uh, we'd experiment. We tried different things until we found stuff that worked. Eventually, we figured it out, out. It was best to concentrate on these tiny moments of success and build them into a mental trigger. We worked them into a routine. There's a series of things we do before every race that are designed to give Michael a sense of building victory. And so in, in his head, he's working through, you know, and those are little keystone habits that build to greater habits. You know, they, they change. They have the power to change other habits. And, they, and that's the same thing. He talked about another company that was not doing well. They hired a new CEO. And the CEO at his first address to the investors is saying that he's going to focus on safety and, and they're confused and they think this guy's crazy, you know, cause they want like, talk to me about the money. And he said, we mm-hmm. need to change our, our, the, we, we need a habit of excellence and our safety is out of control. All these people were getting hurt and stuff. And well, lo and behold, he like, it worked. And he said, he going into it, you can't force people to change, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but he said, we're going to focus on one habit. And then that's something that the workers care about is safety. You know, mm-hmm. they care because that's their life. And, and it also shows that the powers that be care about their safety. I mean, they care about them. It, it kind of was a good way to start. Actually. Yeah. And that's a keystone habit because once they change that, then change is on the table and they know they can change and they, and they appreciate the change. And then that's, again, that's a keystone habit. And then it worked. And then I think when he retired from the company, it was like doing exceedingly well, five times greater than when he took it over, stuff like that. So that's kind of the idea of Keystone Abbots. Well, I think that's powerful as we, you know, when you you kind of think of the new year as a new slate, you kind of think, okay, I'm going to clean it off and this is what I'm going to try. But normally what happens, and because my kids and I, we were going to write an acrostic poem for January. Of course, there's an R in there. And we were talking about the word resolutions, but most people don't keep resolutions, but you do keep your habits. So mm. uh, do you remember Gretchen Rubin talked about uh, piggybacking off a habit? Ooh, that's a great point. Yeah. Talk, explain that. That's a, that's a huge thing. Like if you want to, like you really uh, can, and, and I have done this and it does work. Like if you want to start doing something that you haven't done uh, like mine is like my coffee. If I make my coffee, then I'm going to do my Bible reading and I put all that together. So that habit gets done because it's cook, it's connected to something I'm going to do, you know? So, but one habit I've never been able to do, your dad does this all the time, lay out your clothes before you go to bed. I just can't do that. And it, that would be so beneficial. And I see that, but you know, but I wait, there's another thing that Gretchen Rubin said, you know, don't wait too late to get ready for bed because it takes energy to get ready to, to bed you, for bed. You take your contacts out or brush your teeth or all that. You need to do that before. And maybe I wait too late and then I'm just tired. and want to go to bed, you know, but Ooh. I can't lay my clothes out the night before. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I had that habit. Hmm. that? But do you do that? No, I don't. I think that's positive. You know, I, I have not built that habit. I think it's possible but you're right. It has to be on something. It has to be piggybacked on something that you do. And I, I you've said that before with like, um, there's a certain magnesium to take at night. And if you want to remember, put it by your toothbrush. Cause you said you, you were in the habit of brushing our teeth every night. So if it's something like that, it needs to be by your toothbrush where you'll see it. <laughs> yeah. 
but just to, you know, and, and I think, we'll, you, you know, you have to play with it because some people are more like, and that goes into her tendencies, like obligers uh, will kind of follow through with something if they have accountability. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you still could even go take Charles Duhigg's book and then go on beyond that and say, well, what kind of person am I and, and what can help me be successful in implementing these habits? Because that wasn't it in his book that there we don't have an unlimited su- supply of willpower. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And so we kind of think, you know, just chin up. You can do it. You know, well, you can't do it all the time because you will run out. It's we don't need to think of it as a, a, you know, like a unending waterfall or something. You just have an X amount of willpower. I th- that helped me. But I think just as good habits kind of uh, snowball and make more good habits, bad habits do the same thing. So Mm -hmm. like if you're going to eat a lot of junk food, you're probably going to stay up late. You're probably going to get up late, you know, and that kind of goes away. If you're, because like you said, the keystone habits kind of, if you're going to eat clean, if you're eating clean and not, and trying to stay away from processed food, that's going to make you do some other things. It's not like, but you you really can't hop around and say, well, this area I'm going to do, it's really good if you're consistent and you just mm. say, okay, you know, it's a lot easier. You know, I'm, uh, she talks about, uh, Gretchen Rubin's the one that I realize I'm an abstainer and it's easier for me just to abstain from something than to, oh, have, I'll have half a cookie, not happening. It's not going to happen that I have half a cookie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I never true. was that good with fractions. <laughs> Let me just say. Well, and he talks about that, that it's, uh, and that's what Starbucks, their business thing is. It was, it, the so they turned self-discipline into an organizational habit and it's, it served them well. And that's kind of what we can do too, is make self-discipline into a habit you know, and, and that helps, that increases your willpower when it's, when it's something that you've practiced. And then you're, you're, it's, it's off your plate. It's really Mm. off your plate. You're not having to say, do I do this? Do I not do that? No, you're just, it's a habit. Yep. You're right. It's just whatever works for me might not work for you. You know, like some kids want to come Mm -hmm. in, they want to come in after school and do their homework, bam, and get it done. That was what kind of kid you were. You, you were, uh, getting it done and your brother wasn't even thinking about doing it, you know? And so I think it, it, it is good to let people find at the end of the day, as long as you do it, you know, and then if you don't do it, let you have some, uh, and it's really embarrassing if you're a teacher and your kids don't do homework, that is embarrassing. And then the high school teacher comes to find you and tell you about it. I would see Miss Darty walking down the hall and I'd go, uh-oh, what did he not do? And I never thought, what did Kate not do? I never thought that. Never. And you guys were not that far apart. It, you, you both had her. But why did I not think that? Because it was a habit for him to push the envelope as far as he could. But he kind of knew what he had to do to pass. And he was okay with that. But his mom wasn't. But you know what? At the end of the day, I had to let that go because, you know, I have enough to do working on me that I can't make him care. Yeah, that you had to yeah. give him back his, he had to fail, win or fail on his own and, and take ownership in that behavior. And since then he said, mom, you were right, but I don't want to be right. I didn't, I mean, it doesn't matter to me right or wrong. I just wanted him to be the best he could be 
but he realized, you know, he put all his eggs in the football basket. Well, you can get hurt in the football basket. I mean, you get hurt in any, anything, but mm-hmm. I'm just, uh, I, I, as a teacher, that was really hard. But when I tell, you know, I said to you, let, let him not do the work. It's, it's not that teachers, uh, I think people think teachers really judge parents, but I never judged a parent. I, I want the kids to know they're the ones in third or fourth grade or whatever. It's their because they'll say, oh, my mom didn't put my homework in or my mom didn't put my library book in. I said, is your mom in third grade? <laughs> I thought you weren't the one. Oh, yeah. but my mom, I said, uh, no, no, not mm. buying it. <laughs> so put true. that back on them. If we want to raise responsible kids, we've got to, we got to show them what that looks like and own it when we don't, when we mess up, you know, uh, and, and that's and being, I have plenty of examples of that. <laughs> And we have to be intentional. And that I think, and that's kind of an overarching theme of his book too, is, is intentionality. Because Mm -hmm. if we, if, because our brains are so automatic, if we don't really stop and try to change it or, you know, it's just going to keep rolling, you know, automatically. So it's just like what you were saying. It's, we, it's, we really have to be intentional. And I think, we're more prone to do that at the beginning of something like the beginning of the year. So this is why we really wanted to recap this book. And I think that's a wrap on the power of habit and why we do what we do in life and business by Charles Duhigg. And I did have a quote, Leonardo da Vinci said, learning never exhausts the mind. So let's let's practice learning. (laughs) That's great. See you on the next one.